Open your Bibles to Psalm 128. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word tonight? Psalm 128. You're there, say amen. It says, how joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. This is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May Israel have peace. Father God, today we want to be a people that fear you. That fear you. Father, as your word goes forth, we know that it doesn't return void, but it accomplishes that purpose for which you've sent it. So accomplish your purposes through your word tonight as it goes forth, oh God, we ask, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You could be seated. As I was studying for what I was going to be preaching on tonight, I felt like God kept bringing me back to Psalm 128, kept bringing me back to Psalm 128, and I wasn't getting it. I'd read these six verses. I was not getting it. And yet I felt like God kept bringing me back to this psalm again and again and again. And I remember a long time ago I read that when you are preparing, don't quickly dismiss the Lord's leading to scriptures that you may have taught on before because there are deeper truths. And so I began to dig into this psalm. And as I began to go deeper, it began to open up for me. And I want to share what I found, and I believe it's going to encourage you. I'd like to believe that it's going to push you. And I'm hoping that I am like a piece of iron that God is using in your life. Iron sharpens iron, the Bible says. I'm hoping that I'm that piece of iron that is rubbing you the right way, and I'm hoping that sparks are going to fly tonight for good. Amen? To have a real solid grasp of what it means to fear the Lord, we've got to look at it in the Old Testament. My message tonight is, are we a God-fearing people? You... Many times when you're trying to um, look at a concept, you really have to go to the Old Testament to get a better grasp. Let me use the word obedience, for instance. You really don't have a good understanding of what obedience really, really is unless you look at it in the Old Testament, unless you look at it in the Hebrew. Uh, for instance, uh, the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, that here, that word here, there, it's called the Shema there, that hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, because of that first word, hear. Or newer versions will say, listen. It's said that the Shema is the last thing that will be on a dying Jewish person's lips. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It meant so much to them. In Jewish thought, the obedience um, was um, 
was the same as hearing. There weren't two words in the Hebrew, one for hearing and one for obedience. They are one word because to the Jew, to those that spoke Hebrew, what would be the sense in hearing God if you weren't going to do what he asked you to do? And so it lends a whole new level to what obedience really, really means. Obedience means I'm hearing because I have every intention of carrying out or obeying what God is asking me to do. I'm hearing God to do what he's asking. When I began to study what it meant to fear the Lord, I found, as many of you probably would think, that uh, it indicated reverence or awe. It even spoke of loyalty to God. I thought that that was powerful based on some of the teachings that I heard recently on loyalty. The Faith Life Study Bible says, according to the Old Testament, those who fear God obtain God's protection, wisdom, and blessing. And then it continues, and this is where everything began to open up for me, and I began to see another aspect of fearing God that I'd not seen before. It says, the fear of God is connected to conduct. The blessed person reveres God in belief and conduct. In belief and conduct. And that's where God began to like fry my circuits a little bit. Isn't it amazing that we could believe in God and yet not necessarily act like it? Isn't it amazing that we could say that we fear God and then not necessarily act like it? Isn't it amazing that we could claim to be Christians and then not necessarily act like it? Well, in Old Testament thought, your conduct meant everything. Your conduct meant everything. And let me just ask you this. What's more important to you, words or actions? I think that a lot of Christians believe that their words are more important than their actions. Uh, the Apostle James put it best, faith without works is dead. Newer versions say it's worthless. It's useless. James said, I'll show you my faith by my works. Well, Pastor John, we're not, we're not earning our way to heaven. No, 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 I agree. But I'm going to tell you what, if you are going to heaven, you sure act like it. And what do verses like Ephesians 2.10 mean? We're his workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There are things that God would have us walk in. And I believe there is a behavior that Christians, if they are God-fearing, there is a way that they live, there is a way that they conduct their lives that say that they're God-fearing without them having to say, I'm a God-fearing, I'm a God-fearing Christian. I'm blood-bought, spirit-filled, believer in Jesus Christ. I'm, man, show me how you live. Show me how you live. Show me how you live. So knowing that, let's read Psalm 128 again. With that as a little bit of a backdrop. And I think it's going to begin to open up. It's going to begin to blossom on you a little bit. How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees 
as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. Notice that it's God's desire to continually bless you. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May Israel have peace. Notice that for the God fear, it affects the entire household. It affects your wife. It affects your children. It affects everybody when you fear God. Everybody. Everybody's affected. The thought that God's blessing upon our life is connected to our conduct is huge. It's huge. Pastor John, I do believe in God. Do you live like it? Could somebody look at your life and say, man, there's something different about you. There's a, what, what is it about you? Would they know? Would they know? That the reason we conduct our lives in such a way says whether or not we truly fear God. When I began to study this, it just, it, it messed with me. How you live and how you conduct your life, it does matter. It does matter. It does matter. Then when we truly fear God by how we conduct ourselves, his blessing is manifested upon our lives. That's why Psalm 128.1 says what it says. It's literally telling you what people who fear the Lord do. They follow God's ways. God-fearing people aren't lawless. God-fearing people aren't doing whatever they want to do, struggling to submit to authority. God-fearing people follow God's ways. And that speaks volumes to me. Because when it says follow God's ways, that means that there must be some kind of a relationship going on there. It's not like God is, is putting some dry, lifeless book before us and saying follow it. The language suggests that there is an ongoing relationship that God is leading you in and you are following his ways. You're following his ways. This is like ongoing, it's living, it's active. Man, I'm crazy like Vice President Mike Pence too, man. I, God talks to me, and I talk to him. We must all be crazy. In fact, the Bible says that that is how we are supposed to live by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. Deuteronomy chapter eight. That's how we're supposed to live. Pastor John, I don't know if I've, if I've heard God lately. Have you surrendered to him? Have you Yielded to him? Have you maybe not tried to find some kind of deal that you could strike with God so that you could get to do some of the things you really like doing and that are pleasing to you? And have you just completely abandoned yourself to God so that you could hear him? Hope this is good tonight. I want to challenge you because I've seen many talk like they are God-fearing but struggle to live like it. And I can't help but think of scriptures like in James where it says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. I think a lot of the times people are harassed by the devil because they've never submitted to God in the first place. They're praying foxhole prayers, God, get me out of this one. God, I'll serve you for a million years. You just get me out of this one. And God's saying, quit asking me to bail you out and surrender to me. Abandon yourself to me. Submit to me. 
You look up that word submit. It means to be subordinate to, I just, I struggle with the whole authority thing. You know, it's difficult for me. We're talking God. We're talking, we're talking forces in a spiritual realm that you could not possibly battle apart from a living God. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And a lot of times we're trying to fight God doing whatever spiritual calisthenics we like to do when the very first place that we start is a place of submission to God. Once we're submitted to God, then we can resist the devil and then he'll surely flee. And a lot of people aren't seeing the devil flee because they're not submitted. Start there. We got to start there. This is good preaching. I needed to hear this tonight, Pastor John. Okay. First John chapter 2. Let's dig a little deeper in the well. First John 2. When I see John in heaven one day, I'm just going to hug him. I just, he's, not just because my namesake, but I'll read about the Apostle John. He was so passionate for God. It said that he was going to the, the public um, bathhouse one day, and there was somebody that opposed uh, Christianity, opposed Christ. John fled, wouldn't even be in the same building with him, fled, just ran from the place. Wouldn't even, didn't even want to be in the same building with the guy. I love the Apostle John. He lived and died of natural causes, was the only disciple that was not martyred. They tried to martyr him. I believe it was because he was so cotton-picking close to Jesus. Personal belief. The only one that was at the foot of the cross, everybody else scattered. Peter was the next closest. He was warming himself by a fire of coals, denying Jesus. John's at his feet. So much so that Jesus said to John, Behold your mother, mother, behold your son. Jesus entrusted his earthly mother to John's care. And tradition tells us that he did exactly that and that Mary was with John and under John's care until she died. We know that John, tradition tells us, lived into his 90s, which is astronomical in that day and age. Most people didn't make it out of their 30s. He was an amazing, amazing man of God. And so when I read John's writings, they are they are laced. You can't make it through a chapter without getting just drilled in the heart. And he is now going right after it as he talks about not loving this world. That was probably one of his most consistent themes to, to not love the world, that the love of this world had better not be in you. Um, I'd say that and denying that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Um, John would, would go after these things all the time. Look at 1 John 2. What am I starting in 15? Yeah. 1 John 2. It says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. How many of you know that the world offers you things? For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. John, don't play. Does not play. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Or the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, I believe is how the older versions will put it. Let's look 
at these three areas because um, this whole portion of Scripture from verse 17 is based on doing what pleases God, and there are three areas of challenge for the God-fearer mentioned here. The first is a craving for physical pleasure. I just want to caution you, if you live by the motto, if it feels good, do it, you are destined for trouble. You're destined for trouble because let's just be honest, drugs feel good, sex feels good, and a belly full of food feels good. I mean, let's just be honest. People aren't doing drugs because they feel so bad when they come down off of them and they need them again, they're hurting, but when they're on them, they feel good. That's why they're so popular. They feel good. But before you know it, you're addicted and you're a slave to what started out as a good time. Before you know it, you've given birth to children with someone you don't even want to spend the rest of your life with, what will be in a relationship with for the rest of your life because of the kids. Before you know it, your energy's gone and simple things like taking a shower or tying your shoes have become a challenge because you fell in love with food and what started out as comfort food has now made you uncomfortable. All because it felt good. All because you needed it. Because let's be honest, making you feel good is king today in the world, especially in America. You want to feel good. You want to feel good. And even believers, when they go through difficult times, they don't run to the Lord first. They run, they run to whatever provides comfort for them. And John's going right after it. And he's saying, yeah, the world will offer you that. It'll offer whatever you want that'll make you feel good. Absolutely. And I have found, because I've experimented with a lot of drugs in my life, I have found that the greatest high, the cleanest high, the most fulfilling and satisfying high that I've ever known is that which I get through Jesus Christ. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a preacher up here on a platform. I'm telling you there's nothing like the high that God gives. I can remember when I worked at Alternative Directions in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I would bring these guys to, to church with me. And I'll never forget... I, uh, I brought like nine guys to church with me, and they all like stink and get saved. Um, I think New Song was there in concert, if I remember right. It was New Song, or it was For Him, or it was one of the, the bigger um, Christian groups. And the church that I attended in Grand Rapids was a large church, and it was able to bring in, um, you know, uh, concerts like that. And so these guys all get saved. And I mean, they, they were black, they were white, it didn't matter. You know, inner city kids, kids that came from wealthy homes, but they just had gotten into trouble. And they're getting saved. And I can remember we're driving back to the center after church, um, and one of the kids just had his head laying in between, I'm playing Christian music, he's got his head laying in between the speakers of my car, and he's just smiling. He is like stoned on Jesus. Glassy-eyed, the whole nine yards, just ripped on God. And I said, there is no high better than what you're experiencing right now. He goes, man, you know, I'm telling you. But the problem, we often drop the ball. We get them to the altar, but we don't continually bring them to church so that they can be discipled, and so some things don't stick. I don't know if those guys are still serving God today, but I know what, they experienced a real God that day. And he blew their minds, blew their minds. God's real. You can have experiences with him that'll be far greater, far superior, longer lasting, more satisfying, more filling than anything that you could ever put in your body. It was for that reason that after I got saved, I was so full of God that I didn't, 
I didn't have to, to drink anymore. I didn't have to get drunk anymore. I didn't have to use drugs anymore. All the stuff that it was, I just, I didn't want to do them. But I was still hanging around with my buddies who did. I just didn't want to do that stuff anymore. Because I was full. And I was stoned on Jesus, man. I was just ripped on God. And I didn't need those things anymore. I just, I couldn't wait for the next service. And I was pretty much going by myself. I really hadn't even made a, like a solid Christian friend. I was just going to this enormous church, just going there, grabbing my Bible, my NIV Thompson chain, grabbing my Bible, going to church and just sitting there and just grateful to be there. All I knew is that it felt so stinking good to be there. And I just had to be there. Quit acting like what the world offers or what the devil could give you that God's got no answer for. He does. He does. And what he offers is much better. And there might be a little bit of a process there. That's okay. It's called growth. It's called maturity. It's called deliverance. It's called healing. It's called restoration. That's all right. It's all good. A little bit of process never hurt anybody. The devil's all too willing to say, you want to feel different right now? I'll hook you up. I'll hook you up. I'll give a relationship to you right now that I have you crying in a few months, but I'll give it to you right now. I'll give you something that'll take away all your feelings right now. Right now. Second, a craving for everything we see. If you look up the, defi the definition of the word lust, it's a longing for that which is forbidden. It's forbidden. It's not yours. You can't have it. In fact, if you were to look up lust in a sexual sense, like in the New Testament where Jesus says, if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You know what it means? It means that if you had the opportunity, you'd do it right then and there. The opportunity better not present itself because you wouldn't say no, you'd be all over it. You've, you have determined in your mind and in your heart, you're, you're doing it if opportunity presents itself. I can remember watching a talk show one time and this famous actress who was married to a actor um, had a thing for a, a pretty well-known rock star and she said, my husband knows if I ever had a chance to sleep with that rock star that I would. He just knows that I would. And I'm like, who would sign up for that? Who would say, I want to be married to this for the rest of my life? Lust is a longing for that which is forbidden. That person is someone else's spouse and you cannot have them. If you pursue them, you'll destroy a family probably too and you'll devastate a bunch of kids. Maybe you've been there and maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. You cannot afford everything that you can buy and if you keep spending your credit card, your credit will soon be shot and you'll be servant to the lender. You cannot buy everything. Well, Pastor John, it feels good for me to buy things. It's therapy. No, 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 it's called debt. And you have to pay it off sometime. Or they begin to take things from you. And if you've ever had your car hauled away, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've seen people faithing it that had their homes taken away from them. Man, that's not faith. That's crazy. You don't, let, you don't let those things get taken away from you. You go to work. And you're faithful and you're hardworking. 
And if you have to work more than one job for a period, then you have to work more than one job for a period. I can remember when I was a young single guy, I had made some horrible financial choices, just awful. I was just, man, but I was having a good time. Um, But I was having a good time. And I now have a stack of bills, and what they amount to and what I've got coming in, they're not even remotely close. And I remember praying, God, I'll work two jobs, I'll work three jobs, whatever. And then really when I saw the difference made is when I began to tithe, when I began to honor God with the first 10% of everything that came in to my possession. But I remember praying, God, I'll work two jobs, three jobs. And God had no problem hooking me up with a second job, with a third job. I remember working three jobs um, because I, I asked. You know, I realized that that stack was my fault. I earned that. You know, those were my decisions. I earned that. And now, God, I'll do whatever I got to do to, I don't, I don't expect you to wave some magic wand because you're God. Um, I, I deserve to be where I am, and now I'll do something about it. And I prayed that way, and God provided. Hey, John, you want another part-time job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are we talking? Like third shift? Oh, I got third shifts open. Yeah, I'll do it. And so I did anything from clean Mr. Fables. I don't even think they have Mr. Fables anymore. Um, TGI Fridays on 28th Street, I've cleaned that store. Um, you'd get locked in and the owner or the, the manager would come and open the door and let you out in the morning after inspection. And so I would work jobs like that. And I just was grateful for another job. Um, and I prayed like that. God, provide another job for me. And so I, I'll encourage you to do this. Um, cut up every credit card that you have except for one. Go ahead, keep one. Keep one for emergencies, but cut all the other ones up. Yeah, 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 but when I bought this, they told me that if I opened an account, I would get 10 or 15% off, and mm -hmm, don't worry, they'll get that back in just a few weeks. They're not worried about that 10 or 15%. Um, Cut them up, cut them up, keep one. And if you gotta, take it out of your wallet or your purse and keep it in a drawer for a while so it won't be tempting. Um, I got so bad that I had to cancel my checking accounts and I paid everything by money order. I remember somebody saying to me, yeah, but Pastor John, you know, didn't you have to pay like a buck or two for that money order? Absolutely, and I deserved it. Um, Because I wasn't even balancing my own checkbook. I was such a poor money manager and I thought, you know what, I did this and it's worth the drive to go get the the money order and and so I began to pay everything by money order. Because it was crazy. When your name begins showing up at like um, stop and goes as don't accept this guy's check. I remember looking over the counter, seeing my name, my buddy's name on the list. I'm like, did you know that if you bounce three checks in a short period of time that it's a misdemeanor? I I mean, so uh, crazy. Look, I've lived this. I know what it's like to to be a mess. What you're seeing in my life now is truly God's blessing on my life because I've honored him. And anybody that says otherwise is absolutely crazy. Slap them for me because God has blessed us. God has blessed us. The third thing is a pride in our achievements and possessions. This is really a good men's ministry message, but um, what you've achieved is not who you are. I hope you realize that. I'll say it again. What you've achieved, it's not who you are. Um, what you own is not, is not who you are. And yet, 
we can become very prideful about our achievements and our possessions. Let me show you a verse regarding pride. Go to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2. So sandwiched in between the Zephaniahs and the Zacharias, you're going to find Nahum, you're going to find Habakkuk. Go to Habakkuk chapter 2. Now we all know chapter 2 verse 1, it's, you know, the portion of scripture, you know, you know, write my vision, make it plain, so that he who reads, with, reads it will run with it. A lot of people don't read ch- uh, chapter 2, verse 4. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. After God speaks to Habakkuk about vision, then he says this to the prophet Habakkuk. He said, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God, or the just will live by faith. It's that verse when it was repeated in the New Testament that the German monk Martin Luther read, and it just fried his circuits, and before you know it, he's pounding 95 theses on the castle door um, in Wittenbach. Notice here that pride is such a monster that it says the life of the proud is crooked. Older versions say that the soul of the proud is, is not right. It's not upright. The, 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 the soul of the proud, it's, it, it, it's not right. So pride affects your mind, your will, and your emotions, your soulish realm. And the Bible says that the soul of the proud, it, it ain't right. It's not right. It's crooked. That the, the mind, the will, and the emotions of the proud are crooked, they're off. They're off. They don't see things right. They don't see things right at all. And if there's anything that God comes very, very strongly against, it's pride. Bible says God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. If you want to be in opposition to God, Just let your pride go unchecked. Let it go. Let it go. Refuse to humble yourself. Let your pride go unchecked. And as you increase in pride, rest assured, Scripture does not lie, you are now in opposition to God. God opposes the proud. And if you were to study that word, opposes, It's as if God wants to come to you, but he can't. Pride is like God repellent. It's like God repellent. Man, I don't need God. I don't need anybody. I got this. And what do I I look stupid? Dumber by the minute. Um, Isn't it amazing that Proverbs 12 verse 1 says, he who refuses instruction is is stupid? The Bible uses the word stupid. And we probably told our kids when they were little, don't say the word stupid, it's a bad word. God used it. So we could probably say to our kids, listen to me, don't be stupid. He who refuses instruction is, is stupid. 
And you know what I found about instruction? I don't always get to choose the vessel that it comes to me through. Wish I could. Don't always get to. Isn't it the best when it comes through your spouse? Be honest. It's the best. It's the best. Don't be stupid. And out of all the things that the Word of God does, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, can go to the very marrow of our bone and can separate our soul from our spirit. The Word of God is able to cut a swath and separate our mind, our will, and our emotions from the born-again spirit of the living God in the inside of you. Nothing like the Word of God. The reason why your nose should be in it all the time is so that your soul stays healthy. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Paul is begging the brethren. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You've got nothing to prove if you remain prideful. You have nothing to prove. You are a living sacrifice. You do not belong to yourself anymore. You are now God's property. In fact, that is how you're to live as a sacrifice. We are living sacrifices, which Scripture calls worship. Living sacrifices. Man, where do they even get that stuff from? What inspired Paul? I believe Abraham and Isaac inspired Paul. I believe it's in Genesis 22. God tells Abraham to offer Isaac, his only son, on Mount Moriah, as a burnt offering. That's what God told Abraham to do. But that's not what Abraham said. Abraham told his servants that came with him, he said, the lad and I are going to go yonder and worship and we'll come back to you. God called it a burnt offering. Abraham called it worship. Man, I wonder if it's even real worship if God isn't smelling some burning flesh, you know? I wonder if it's real worship if we're trying to shed something at the altar instead of getting on the altar like a living sacrifice. I wonder if it's real worship in God's eyes. So my challenge to you is, do you truly fear God? Live like it. Live like it. Conduct yourselves as a God-fearer. Conduct yourselves as a God-fearer. Anybody can talk. Anybody can, can faithfully come to church, get involved, maybe with a gift that you have. You can sing. You can work in this area. You can work in that area. Conduct yourself like a God-fearer. Conduct yourself like one who fears God. It'll be evidenced by how you handle your money, your marriage, your ministry. It'll be evidenced by what you are consistently looking at. It'll be evidenced by what you take pride in. Is your conduct that of a God-fearing believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. We're running out of time here.